and three, two, one. holly jolly bishop around and you've been called by emperor constantine uh, to nicaea to debate the theology of the trinity and to tackle heresies surrounding that you're sitting in a large room with a number of other bishops and you begin to discuss the various uh, doctrinal points about the theology, the nature of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. At some point, uh, the bishop Arius stands up so that he can be better heard and begins to explain how Jesus Christ was not actually co-eternal with the Father, that instead of being begotten of the Father, that he was the first created of the Father. He is not God but rather just another one of his creations. Higher than the angels, of course. Higher than man, but not one with the Father. He begins to explain and elaborate how this makes sense and how this is the truth. The bishops around you are all nodding their heads, scratching their beards, and they're understanding his point, if not agreeing with it. And they're rationalizing what he's saying, as if it was an okay thing to say. Your blood begins to boil till it's overflowing, because this is outright heresy. This is wrong to suggest that God, the Son, is not in fact God, that Jesus Christ was not divine. This is a slap in the face of what Jesus Christ came here for. And so you decide to return the favor. You rock it out of your chair. You walk across the dais and you plant a big holly jolly palm right across his face. The other bishops jump, hold you back, and eventually throw you into prison. Hello and welcome to Couch Confessions. I'm Jonathan. I'm David. And I'm Zach. And we're excited to have you joining with us today as we discuss... Saint Nick, as Old we jolly Saint Nick, exactly. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful story, and it's going to be uh, our jumping off point for today uh, in this Couch Confessions episode. But before we get into it, David, I went around in our our last BLH podcast and asked the guys if they had any uh, fond memories or cherished traditions uh, of of Christmas or if they were like trying to start traditions of their own with their families. And so I wanted to get your, your thoughts on this as well, if you have any uh, traditions or fond memories uh, about Christmas. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I love the holiday season. I'm a huge fan of the holiday season because it's getting cold. Um, I hate the cold, but there's always nice to look forward to the Christmas time. Um, after Christmas, though, and after New Year's, 
Uh, everything just goes dark and and cold. It's a weird time. And awful because it's you weird. got nothing to look forward to, you know, except for later days eventually in the spring. But getting back to it, I've got some uh, Christmas memories I enjoy of. And I still enjoy putting up the Christmas tree to this day. Um, going back to childhood, I love the uh, the Christmas trees at church where you had the big old fluffy uh, like styrofoam crosses that you put on there, <laughs> you know, instead of the the holly jolly uh, red and gold balls and stuff. I don't know why we did that instead, but uh, I guess it's more religious probably. Well, it's it's a little easier to buy those in bulk. Oh, okay. You know, yeah, and then sure. if one breaks, you don't feel like it's somehow sacrilegious mm, <laughs> to yes, throw it yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we we put the we put the the the, uh, the crosses on the tree at church, and then um, but but really the most special part about Christmas time to me is when my parents uh, gave us. Uh, I have a sister, and we were given money from our, our parents at a very young age and told to buy gifts for other people, not just in the family, but outside the family, and give them to, uh, give them to those people um, it, in a sign of charity, like trying to remember what the whole holiday season is about in a way. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, that's not about getting uh, it's a, or receiving, but it's about giving instead so and i've always enjoyed that so even to this day i still look for ways i can give around this time of year that's a that's a beautiful memory and that's it's a great way to to kind of approach this season especially when it it's so easy to get wrapped up in trying to get stuff yeah i mean i'm, I'm 29 years old and i'm still looking forward to what i'm getting at christmas <laughs> and uh it, it's it's good though what are you getting for christmas jonathan uh not socks. I got a lot of socks. Uh, underwear birthday. then, huh? Yeah. <laughs> probably. <laughs> probably. Uh, no, yes. It's uh, it's always uh, difficult for my family to buy for me since most of my hobbies are are, are quite expensive. Yeah. So yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. <laughs> so I this is f- quite expensive. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to find uh, other little things that they can they can get me. Um, that's right. Anything Spider Man related or Bob Ross related. I mean, that's that's Hear an that easy Sam? one. He needs uh, Spider Man and Bob Ross underwear. That's what he just <laughs> called out to you for. It's probably not good. I have Zach, s- what do you need, man? You need some boxers, some briefs. I know you're a boxer no. guy. No, I, I need more uh, disc golf discs. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah, see, I just need to play more disc golf, and that's going to be an easy, uh, easy, easy, easy hobby. That's right, except when we start throwing them in the lake, fellas. And, you know. Well, that's why he needs more of them. That's it. <laughs> it does get expensive. That, that's why I don't play anymore. <laughs> I can't well, we'll just my... have to we'll just have to play Earlwood and other locations that don't have water hazards. Yeah, I always right. I always skip that ninth hole over at CIU. It's yeah. just too risky. And the fourteenth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, all of them. No, I just I just throw that one straight into the wood. I don't. I ignore the obvious path to go across the water. I will throw it fifty yards into the woods to avoid that. I know. I've been there. I've seen it. <laughs> Heroism, really. So, but uh, but yeah, no. That's uh, that's a Christmas tradition. I love. Um, and I've always had, so yeah, it's good. It's good. Um, but starting around this time of year though, we start to see all these Santa Claus pop up and I've never, I've never had a Santa Claus in my house ever in any Hmm. way. So like, it's just kind of funny to talk about St. Nick this week and I've never been around Santa Claus a lot, but no decorations Hmm. with the Santa on there. So my, uh, my parents were not so, um, uh, uh, trying to think of a good word that is funny but not insulting <laughs> my parents were a little bit more pagan oh oh great <laughs> there you go uh 
And so we 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 had uh, what, oh, one of my. <laughs> Zach's about to die over there. One of my one of my favorite things, and it's so it's so great because it's lasted in our family, and my nieces uh, get the biggest kick out of this thing. It is a little animatronic Santa that uh, dances to. Yes, Zach's doing the dance. Oh my gosh! What Where is it? You is, call it? it? is it rocking around the Christmas tree? Or Jingle no, no. Bell Rock. Jingle Bell Rock. Oh my yes. gosh, that's got the same one. <laughs> Did you have it really? Did your parents have no, it? No, my my grandmother had it. So oh. um, we we had a we had a story lock that we would all go and write stories in. It had our toy train in it. It was a place where we hung out. And um, yeah, she had a little dancing Santa Claus. His hips moved far longer than they should have. Yes, uh, Elvis. Uh, then, uh, yes. the Elvis I loved it, and so my dad had it, and so he he used to like sit it right there, um, in the living room, and uh, when everybody was together, he'd flip that thing on, and it would just start shaking its hips. And, wow, uh, loved it. And then my my nep- or my nieces, and soon to be, uh, uh, whenever my nephew's old enough to appreciate it, uh, they they just get the biggest kick out of it. They sure. love it. Um, so that, I mean, we always had little Santas or something to that effect around the house. Okay. Okay. But growing up, I never heard that story about Santa. Yeah. I'd never, I never heard that one either. That's Mm -hmm. probably my favorite of of his. And there's plenty of myths and, uh, Zach, you and I and, and Rob and Thomas discussed a couple of them, uh, in our last episode. But yeah, so there's a lot of myths around, um, around St. Nick, around Santa Claus. Uh, we do know that he was a bishop. St. Mm-hmm. Nicholas was a bishop. Mm-hmm. And M- Maya, Myra, Maya, something. It's something like that, yeah. Is, yeah. Uh, he was a bishop. And um, I had all this stuff written down the other day, and I've just it's just gone out of my head by now. But uh, <laughs> he was a bishop, and he was um, around the time when the Nicene uh, Council would have been called. But a lot of these myths, as we've discussed before, um, take shape over time, and they get, um, even if there's a shred of truth that uh, they're based off of, they get adapted um, over the, the centuries, and, and they just get warped into something more. And so, uh, David, you were, you were talking about that a little bit, that, that we don't even really know if that happened. Yeah, so it's like a, you know, history is like playing telephone. You know, like with the cans, strings, and you're, uh, or you're just sitting around a, a circle and you, you whisper something in somebody's ear and it comes back around. And it's nothing. You yeah. say banana, it comes back alarm, you know, yeah. somehow. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's how history is. And so with St. Nick, you know, I was doing a lot of reading and research for this podcast. And, uh, and it just doesn't seem to be that he might have even been at the Nicaea Council. Hmm. Uh, a lot of them signed saying that they were there. Most of them signed saying they were there, the bishops that were there. Um, and, and his name never appeared there. It wasn't until a couple hundred years later after the Council of Nicaea that um, if something was even written about Bishop Nick there uh, saying that he slapped Arius there. Mm. Um, and, and it was a righteous slap, you know, one not of like full of fervor. It was just a... You know, you go just up a rebuke. and yeah, just a, a slight rebuke type deal. Not not saying that his heresy was slight by no means. Uh, it was not, but um, but then it was a a couple of hundred years after that, even close to a thousand years later, that it turned out uh, that Saint or at this time Bishop Nick punched the guy in the face. Hmm. And it's just history just keeps evolving, and I think a lot of the reason why 
um, it does is that it, you know, this this punch, this righteous anger, we can all kind of like see, you know, we can kind of agree with. There's something in us that says, yeah, if there's this type of heresy going on, a huge heresy of that, um, you know, good for him, good for Bishop Nick, you know, punching this guy in the face, and and I think that's what we really want to talk about, right? It's like this idea of like, where's that line? Yeah. When it comes to what what do we stand for? If we don't stand up for something, then we fall for everything, right? Type idea. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so even if it, it didn't happen exactly how it's been said it's happened or, or how it's kind of developed, it's important that we do recognize that sometimes there there needs to be a, a time and a place for us to to have this display this kind of um, righteous indignation yeah, and, and yeah. being able to stand for something. I think that's a, that's a very hard thing for me to do. Uh, personally, um, I, I tend to be, you know, try to be very uh, passive, be very at peace, you know, uh, empathetic. And I think uh, in some ways that can, that in and of itself, though there are virtues in that thing, in those things, Um, if they go too far, then you're right. You know, if I don't stand for something, I'll fall for everything or, Mm -hmm. or I'll let something very serious slide. Mm -hmm. You know, if I, you know, if, if I don't engage in those things, if I don't take stands where I need to, uh, it's easy for letting things slide. I mean, what would happen if, so, you know, say, uh, uh, Bishop Nick did not, uh, wasn't the one to slap Arius. Mm-hmm. We know that the rest of the bishops put him down. That's right. Yeah, and so if nothing else, like, but what if they said, "Well, you know, like I get his point. You know, it's not, it's not that bad. You know, okay, like he's wrong, but we can yeah. live with it." Yeah, right? right. What if they had said that? You know, who knows what the, what place the church would be in today? Yeah, sure, and and that makes us question. Like, so we put up with something long enough and it can become conical, right? (laughs) So like, we don't want to put up with things for far too long. And, and thank goodness for the council of Nicaea at the time. It really, it, it probably took a little bit too long in history, if you ask my opinion, but I won't get into, into that, um, to, to actually happen, uh, where they, where they started putting some of these heresies in their place and actually wrote the, uh, Nicene Creed. Um, but, you know, you're right, Jonathan's like, where, where, what exactly can we stand up for? Where, where do we stand? And Zach, you got some thoughts on this, man? Like, where can we, where can we go inside of ourselves? Like, what questions should we ask ourselves, you think? Yeah, so you're, you're hitting on something pretty important. Um, what's the line? Before we can even define what's the line, I think we need to know where we are. Right? Like, yeah. I can't draw a line in the sand if I'm in the middle of a mountain and it's all rock. Yeah. <laughs> I, need to, yeah. I, I need to be able to figure out, okay, what are the, the core values that I hold to? What are my theological truths? What are the things that are so important to me that I'm willing to die on this mountain? Um, and if you don't take the time to figure that out your, yourself, you're not going to know what should I stand up for. Um, one of my mentors really brought it up in a great analogy for me. He brought it up as there is these two circles that we need to be aware of. There is the circle of concern and this circle of control. And the circle of concern is much larger than the circle of control. The circle of control is what I can control. This is my thoughts. This is my reactions. This is how I deal with things. The circle of concern is everything else. Now, 
at, if I focus on my circle of concern first, I'm going to be too widespread. I'm not going to have any depth. I'm not going to have any ability to help on the things that are genuinely important because I get distracted by all these really good things around me. But by focusing on my circle of control, my thoughts, my actions, my philosophies, what I can do, how I can improve, then I actually have a better impact on my circle of concern because I'm expanding the things that I can control. I don't know if that makes any sense for you. Yes, that theory of locus of control as well, I think, right? What what's, mm-hmm. what are we in control of? We need to take a look around and say, uh, first off, are we in control of ourselves, right? And then what is it around us that we can't control? Uh, you know, public opinion or, or just our friends, those types of things. Not in a manipulative way, right? That's not what we're talking about when we talk about control. Right. right. Well, I and, I, and I think that's true that some people would have a negative idea of like, oh, control, that sounds bad. And it's like, no, this is, this, this is what you have direct influence over. That's what we're talking about when we're saying control. I'm not saying that I, Zach, am trying to control Jonathan. It's that I'm trying to influence those around me to be better as Jesus called me to do. Yeah. Well, that's good. To, it's like the, the idea of it, it starts with you. It's not necessarily manipulating everything around you. You got to like, that's, that's one thing we can be sure of is we can control ourselves to some degree. We can mm-hmm. control what we think about, what we let in. Um, we can control, um, we can't control our emotions immediately, how they happen, but we can control them as they last, mm-hmm. how long we dwell on these things or how those emotions affect us. We can control our reactions to some degree. And so it starts with ourselves. And then you're right, Zach, it goes outward to how can we influence those around us. Uh, and I like what you said is, is, is getting those definitions of the circle of control and then the circle of concern is because if I try to take in stock of everything, then I don't have control over anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we've got to start small and then work our way out. Because if I, if I try to control every little thing, if I try to die on every hill, th- then what's the point? Then, then, I, then I'm dying way too much. Yeah. I mean, my college professor looked at me and said, David, you can't die on every hill. Yeah. You can't die on every hill. <laughs> Yeah, we can't die on every hill. And so I think that's important is, is start to define those things that are of utmost importance to us. And I would say start with only a few, right? Uh, I, I've talked about this before with you, David, about that unique uh, thing that I went through earlier this year. Mm-hmm. And one of, those, one of the, the aspects of that was defining our core values. Mm-hmm. and um, th- that was a, a ways into the process before we got to that point, but it was saying um, three to four, like find three or four, mm-hmm. not more than that. If you go f- beyond that, you start to le- lessen the importance of those few. That's right. Uh, and you start to concern yourself with way too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, just finding three or four things that are a must for you, right? Um, one of mine is uh, this idea of order. Like that's a very central thing to me is things need to be in their place. Things need to be, um, it's not OCD. It's not, sure, I'm never sure. going to say that I have OCD. I might say that jokingly, but I don't seriously believe that of myself. Uh, that's a serious medical condition. That's so right. a psychological condition. 
you also don't meet the criteria. Right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. So uh, that's good to know. From but, like, but you like organization. I though. love you it. Like organization. Two two of my two of my most favorite words uh, are cable management. <laughs> I have I have twist ties over all my cables and uh, to keep them nice and clean and in order, which and, I really appreciate, by the way. And that's I why I do it. Said that, yeah. That's why I do it because I believe that having order, not obsessively, but having order, allows people to be more comfortable. There's a lot of ties around on these cables. I just noticed that now that you said that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. It allows people to be more comfortable when there is an order or a system. That's so that's a core thing to me, and I don't impose that on other people. That's not something I'm going to force on you, uh, David, to 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 get everything in your life in order. You know, or or, or that's not going to like if somebody doesn't if somebody's Thanks, a little Jonathan. yeah. <laughs> There's a little wake I'm up. I'm going to go to all my cables at home and I'm going to start taking a look around. Now. If you would like, I would do that for you. But I'm not going to force that. That's not that's not my area of control. Your life isn't under my control. Yeah, yeah. But in my life, as much as I am able, I'm going to make a point that things are in order uh, as much as I can. And so, like, that's that's one of my core values. And that took me a while to, to figure that out. That took a lot of soul searching to see. That's very important to me. And so that's something that I try to put into my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, is that a hill I would necessarily die on? I don't know. You know, that's a lower tiered kind well, of I thing. Well, think, I think, though, that what you just talked about is so important. And, and this is where we start to come back to previous thoughts already again. Um, it matters when you get married. Mm. It matters when you build a community uh, you know, with other people, what do you, the, what are those three or four, maybe five, maybe 10, it depends on the size of the community, what are those core values that you have to have? Mm. And that's what was going on in the Nicene Council. Exactly. That's exactly what was going on. What are these core values? They weren't just we determining that in? for themselves personally. No, this but was what the is church. The, the church at large, what's yes. important to them? And what does every Christian believer believe like what's the foundation here and so yeah you know zip tying my cords that's not going to be the the foundational value per se right but there's something there behind it the organization so Mm. if i was to live with you which i don't (laughs) but if i was to live with you that would be something that we would probably have to agree on in order to function well together exactly right exactly that's good um and so going back to when we look at the church as a whole, and so these these are like just personal values, you know. I don't I don't want to try to put them on the same level as theological values. Sure. I have different different beliefs as far as theology is concerned that I would put those in a separate category. But when we're deciding that for the church at large, like that's a very important thing. And so us us as believers too. I think we need to recognize those things as well as far as uh, theology is concerned. Mm-hmm. What are truths that we have to, to stand for? And I think when we look at denominations, we often confuse some of those things. Like, um, uh, man, uh, this, is a, this, is a, this is a trivial thing that, that happens within denominations, but like traditional versus... Uh, contemporary, mm-hmm. yeah. right? That's not a, that's not a hill to die on. That's not a theology to die on. Uh, the divinity of Christ, that is. Yes. Um, now, some people might debate me on this, but um, 
pedo baptism versus credo baptism, right? That's a thing that separates denominations. Yeah, many. Yes. Is it a thing that's going to uh, have me call you not a believer, or call into question your your um, your salvation? No. Neither me, but there are some that would. Right, right? there and are that, some. That's the debate there. Yeah. yeah, but but you know there are there are things that we we overemphasize mm-hmm. that divide denomination, and really it needs to come back to well, what are the foundational beliefs that are ultimately important, and and that's what that that Council of Nicaea was was determining, and that's that that Nicene Creed that sets it out for us. Very yeah. clearly, and so it, and again, for some of our listeners who aren't really familiar with creeds, um, it's the Nicene Creed that we're talking about here, uh, not the Apostles' Creed, though that one is also a foundation um, uh, of Christian belief. But the Nicene Creed here is, uh, or the Nicene Creed is really important. I mean, it it talks us through who Christ is. Well, first starting off with who God is, who Christ is, and then what the role of the Holy Spirit is in the church yeah. at large. Um, and but it's about finding that compromise too, mm. like not not doing away with the foundational principles, not giving, but at the same time trying to meet each other where they are. Of of course, you can't put up with heresy in the church, right? right? But trying to find like some level of balance there, so you don't split over over these little hairs, right? Yeah. Um, Zach, what what would be some of your, like, uh, maybe some ideas that you could uh, try to help us, try to understand how, how do we not cause splits or divisions over these, uh, the trivial matters, while at the same time holding on to, like, fundamental or foundational beliefs? Yeah, well, I that's a great question. Um, so there are several things to keep in mind is that um, – there, there's this one principle that I, I learned in my dialectic behavioral therapy training that I found very helpful for this. Um, the, the scriptural basis for this secular teaching, I find in uh, Philippians 1, 27a. Uh, so the secular idea is called um, di- dialectics. And what that means is that multiple truths can be true at the same time. Now, some people will hear that and initially say that can't be right, which is a very dichotic view of thinking, this or that, black or white. And while I do believe in absolute truth, so don't hear me, don't hear what I'm not saying, as Jonathan likes to say, um, <clears throat> dialectics is this idea that if it's not necessarily an objective truth, because I am a fallen person, I might not be able to have all the pieces of the puzzle to know what's going on right now, there might be multiple things that are true at the same time. Philippians 1.27a, uh, Paul says to live up to the truth that you have obtained. Okay, so that there's a key element there. So David might have learned different truths about God or different things about his walk than I have. Jonathan might have learned different truths about who God is or how God works different than me. Now, we can have a theological discussion. We can have a conversation on the couch and possibly confess some things to each other. And we can have this idea of, okay, I don't have to be limited to a this or that thinking mentality. So if I'm having a conversation with David and there's a disagreement or there's something that's at play, if I have a stance of, okay, the loving thing that Jesus would do would first seek to understand. 
before I start getting hostile and argumentative, let me make sure that I fully understand what David's saying when he says this. And then I want to make sure that he understands me. I heard you say this. This is what I understood you to say. Is that correct? And then there's a feedback loop that can help confirm or deny or possibly alter what is being said. And then there's a ton of different books out there on conflict resolution when it starts getting to something that I guess today we're talking a little bit more about that boiling point. Um, at what point do we need to start taking arms up for the things that we fervently believe are the fundamentals or the objective truths? And that's getting more into, okay, now we're starting to get into different people skills. How do I communicate what I'm doing in such a way that, first off, doesn't escalate the violence if it can be avoided? Mm -hmm. um, David, I, you mentioned something about Jesus's example, and I thought that would be really pertinent in this particular element. Why don't you touch on that real quick? Yeah, so, you know, I, I, we, we started this podcast off with uh, old Bishop Nick punching a person in the face. And that's that, uh, Jonathan, you were talking earlier about that story of Jesus in the temple, right? Yeah. Uh, throwing over the tables. And you brought up the great point, the historical point, I might add, that that was the Gentile area to worship, right? That's mm -hmm. where they came uh, to, to meet God, was in that area in which those people were selling inside of the temple. And that's what Jesus was outraged about, was that they had turned this holy place um, for the rest of the world, other than the Jews, right, which mm -hmm. was most of the world, to come and to meet God there. Um, they had turned that into a market, a seller's place, mm -hmm. and, and taken advantage of these Gentiles. Um, and, and that's what enraged Jesus. Uh, but in all the other situations that I can recount in Scripture, I don't see Jesus getting righteously angry to the point of, of any sort of violence. Right. And I could be wrong, but like, uh, you know, he, he's called us to be a gentle people um, and to uh, be fast to forgive um, and, and all these different, they turn the other cheek for our enemies, right? To that, to that point, I even think of, I mean, he had uh, Judas right there. He knew what Judas was going to do, and he washed his feet, mm -hmm. and he served him, uh, he served him uh, uh, the Passover meal. That's right. And so Judas didn't make Jesus angry to the point of violence, and Judas was the one that got him killed. That's right. Mm -hmm. Of course, he was there to do that, to, to, to die on the cross. But Judas was the one to do that. He 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 loved Judas. He didn't go, go to violence there, and so it it must be saying something when Jesus resorts to violence at the temple. Sure, you know that that shows how destructive that behavior was that he was fighting against there in that moment. And sure, and you know I'm not going to argue with uh, Bishop Nick. I I really do believe that the heresies that at the council were extremely uh, horrible for for Christianity and very dangerous too, uh, the ideas that were being presented. But were they as dangerous um, per se? And I, and this is a what if, a big historical what if. Yeah. Are they as dangerous as, as stopping the Gentiles from worshiping, right, in general? I don't know. Uh, you know, I don't have that, uh, that, that type of knowledge uh, or understanding. But I will say this, though. It's just, it seems as though that uh, even Jesus didn't get to that point where he was so righteously emboldened that he was going to punch people in the face. So, Right. So was Nick right in that? I don't know. But going back to you, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, oh, I'm I'm trying to remember the the other thing that I I guess I would encourage is that um, while I think it is important for us to maintain a stance of of peace of being as gentle as lambs and wise as serpents, um, we do want to make sure that in order to have peace, we need to prepare for war. Uh, and the example I used when we were talking before the podcast today was the idea of in the American Revolution, the Minutemen were called Minutemen because within a minute, they'd be ready to fight. And none of these men were soldiers by trade. They were like millmen. They were farmers. They were marketmen. They were individuals that had different occupations. But when their freedoms and their families and what they had worked for and what they believed in was at risk, they were ready to fight and lay down their lives if needed. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a, this is a good place to, to kind of come around to maybe is they had determined themselves. They were peaceful people. Uh, you, on a whole, you could probably say they were peaceful people. You know, you, you, like you said, they were farmers, they were millmen. They weren't soldiers. That's right. Right. Uh, but they had determined that their freedom that their liberty was worth fighting for. That this, protecting their family, protecting their home, was a hill they were going to die on. They had determined that. And they were willing to fight and die for that. Uh, St. Nick, if it's true, had determined that this was a hill that he was not going to let stand. The The council decided that Arius was wrong regardless. Mm-hmm. But St. Nick decided, perhaps that he wasn't going to just let it be. He wasn't just going to give it up to, like, this was something that he was going to fight for. Christ determined, he knew he was there to save not just the Jews, but the Gentile alike. And so he determined that this was something that was so offensive that he had to use violence for. Now, the only person I can say with certainty was right in doing what they did was Christ. Yeah. I on the outside can't determine if that was the right thing or not. The individual had to do that. Mm-hmm. And again, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that you ever need to resort to violence. That's right. Thank <laughs> you not, for that clarification. Not yeah. advocating that. I know we live in a very, uh, a very testy time right now. Very tumultuous period. Uh, and I would be remiss if I did not say we are not referencing anything <laughs> in culture today. Yes. We're just saying that you need to determine where those lines are. What do you hold as utmost importance? And as believers, we, we should hold the truth of Scripture as utmost importance. We should hold to, to that. There are things that we need to discuss and try to understand, for sure, and there's areas of compromise. But there are things that, that, that should be of eternal significance to us. The gospel itself should be of, of high value to us. And then there are other things that are lesser things that we need to determine are valuable for us that we're going to try to work at. We need to find those those values and those things that we can control and those things that we, we can't and we need to put in our circle of concern. That's right. But we, we need to, it, it's something that we have to be in, intentional about something that we have to be intentional about. We can't just let it happen. We've got to really think through those things. Yeah, we have to we have to reflect on our own values like what Zach was saying earlier, I think. We 
we have to come to a knowledge of what our core values are so that we we can recognize when those are in trouble around us, true trouble around us. Yes. Not not like somebody just saying something offensive. Right. It's got to actually be threatening it, that your the system in which you're you're living right i mean it, it, right. and even then it's not a reason to like you were saying earlier to be violent in most cases right. where i don't think any of us here we're obviously not advocates of violence in any way no um most times things can be reconciled and, very peacefully and again with jesus example that's right most of the time he was for peace there was only that one incident yep. where he and that was for the sake of, of the gentile believers and he was Christ, he was God, and so he could fully reckon that he was correct in doing that. And so while I think that the the myth or maybe even the history of St. Nick is really fun and bolsterous um, for today when we feel like, you know, so oftentimes Christian theology is threatened around every corner of today's culture, um, that we can just fight back in fervor uh, and, and even uh, righteous anger, um, and it almost just feeds into what we want. Yes. And it's quick to remember that what we want most times probably isn't what Christ wants. We're mm-hmm. trying to be more Christ-like. And so it's important to remember the work of the Spirit in us and try to to add to that, not, not add on our own strength, but allow the Spirit to work within us to make us more Christ-like, more gentle and meek and peaceful, um, and, and to bring reconciliation through through those avenues other than righteous anger. Right. Um, and, and all of that has to be done with prayer and intention. That's right. It takes time. Um, Zach, did you have any, any other uh, parting words here? No, I think you guys covered it. Make sure that we uh, we're intentional with these conversations. If you have thoughts that you need to reach out to us, feel free to do so. Jonathan has been pretty consistent with letting you know where you can do that. Uh, if there's a way that we can be praying for you, um, if you don't have a support staff or support in your life that you can talk these things over, find some. Find some people that you can trust that will have these dialogues with you so that you can grow. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Um, so now I guess it's just time for uh, play those jams. That's right.